Well, folks, we are here for this week's show. Welcome to The Boundless Show, the latest episode here for you. And as I always like to do, I like to give you a little preview of what is coming up on the show. Well, for our inbox, we have a listener who has recently gotten engaged and is wanting some tips for things to do to be well prepared for marriage. Well, who doesn't want that? Okay, one of our counselors is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Jonathan Pakluda is back with us for part two of a live Q&A that we recorded with him on dating and relationships. He is always such a great friend and a great guest, uh, pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Texas, former leader of The Porch at Watermark. And uh, this was recorded through Listen app. So we will have fun uh, with that as well. Okay, here we are for our roundtable, and this is um, an homage to our 30-somethings out there who I always hear from saying, Lisa, can you have more stuff for us? And you know what? Here we are. We're doing it. So uh, we're going to do a roundtable today on getting married in your 30s. And uh, we did this like back, back, back in the day. I think we did separate ones with like ladies, and then we had one with guys, and but it was ages ago, and they're probably all in their 60s now. I don't even know. But um, no, there were a lot of great tips there. But we thought we would do a little different approach to it this time in taking a couple who recently married. Um, and <laughs> we jokingly said this might be an intervention on the front end. Um, Dr. Trent Langhofer, who actually did counseling with them, but not just premarital, lest you think this is just going to be like, hey, let's talk about our finances. Um, it's not just that. So I want to welcome Dr. Trent. Hey. So, so good to be with you. Good to have Excited you. Excited about it. Um, yeah, super fun to have him here. And he is actually, in fact, I want to give like an actual legit, like what he does. I, I sound he, good on paper. <laughs> he is one of the professors and clinic director at Colorado Christian University. Um, also does, you know, a ton of counseling in that context, as well as with individuals. He counseled, as I said, um, our other guests, Melinda and Nate. Welcome, Mel and Nate. Thank you. Good yeah. to be here. Great to have you. Okay, so we're going to we're going to have a conversation here about what it looks like to prep for marriage specifically when you are not like straight out of college okay because there are some different considerations I think that are going to be helpful so first off Mel and Nate first of all when okay how long have you been married we're four months hot off the press for <laughs> practically experts so that's four why months. we're here <laughs> okay and um we have to just we have to just get real here we need your ages so what at what ages did you get married? I'm 31. Okay. I'm 34. Okay. I identify younger, but I am 34. <laughs> okay. She identifies as 27, yes. but she's 34. That's good. Um, very good. I, I identify younger yeah. too. So excellent. Okay. So I, I just had to do that to establish credibility. We're not just making it up really that you guys in are 30s, in your 30s. Yeah. So yes. that's good. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to kind of kick this off by saying what... Like, what made you decide? I mean, you know, again, did you think that you were going to get married younger, like when you were in high school or college or whatever, you thought this was going to happen? Or were you like, I don't think I'm ever going to get married if I can help myself or whatever? I mean, what made you decide, okay, this is the person I'm pulling the trigger? Tell us a little bit about the, the process of that. 
Ooh, Lisa, that was not on the pre-described <laughs> question. Yeah, that's not on the question list. Sorry, I always I forgot to tell you I always go off the question. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I can start. I mean, I think in high school you think like, oh, I'll go to college, I'll get married. You know, I I think that's a pretty common conception. But then I hit my twenties and I felt the freedom and I I was pretty happy with it. I definitely wasn't ready to like maturity wise, and so I'd kind of dated here and there, but. Um, Marriage terrified me. So I I kind of had a lot of anxiety about like, this is a really big decision. You know, you want to get it right. I've made some pretty wonky decisions, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think I, I, I had like a, a little bit more of like fear surrounding the whole marriage narrative. Okay. Um, going into and, it. And specifically what what terrified you about marriage? Because hello, you're like a Christian. Don't you trust God? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to like spiritually bypass everything. <laughs> so um, I think it's hard. I think you think you know someone, things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I doubted myself, like mm-hmm. security in like, can I make a wise choice, which I think is a huge reason why you want to bring community and stuff into the decision as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was I was scared to lose my freedom. Probably mm-hmm. was a big part of it. Um, okay. But four months in, I'm realizing there's more freedom. You know, it, it expands your freedoms in mm. different ways. Yeah, you do lose some freedoms, but you also expand freedoms in other ways. So. Okay. Um, All yeah. right. And how about you, Nate? Yeah, I would say I was not as averse to marriage as Melinda just described. Um, I definitely, when I was in college and high school, thought I'd probably be married, you know, early to mid-20s. And then those came and went. And then my late 20s came and went and um and yeah I, you know I, I dated several women and and none of them quite felt right so then you know Mel and I had been friends for a couple of years and it was the kind of thing where I was thinking about dating again and I you know I didn't want to date Mel because I knew if we didn't work out then our friendship would be ruined but I got to the point where I was like I think it's worth the risk. And then very quickly, I was totally on the marriage train. Yes, and <laughs> she, I was not quite there took yet. a few more uh, months to years to, to, to get on that months train. Okay, so let's talk about you being single and being like considering marriage, even prior to dating or maybe as you started dating. And just like be honest, did you each think like you were kind of a catch? Like, did you think you were ready like, you know, um, all this could be yours. Like, you know, I'm pretty awesome and someone's gonna, you know, be, be blessed to have me. Or were there things <laughs> in particular that you were like, oh no, this is a glaring deficit that I'm actually fearful about. And if someone finds this out about me, you know, that could be not good. Straight for the jugular. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's all right. Dr. Lee, Trent Lee's here. You know, he's, for questions. Oh, no. yeah, he's <laughs> gonna be he's gonna be jumping in soon here to give the real story, but you give your impression. Oh man. Um I like oh that's a hard question. I thought I was a catch in terms of like I think I'm gonna be really fun to marry, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she, I know I'm a seven on the Spoiler Enneagram, alert. I know how to have a good time <laughs> and but th- like, I'm not just fun, you know, there's also hard parts to me and obviously a lot of sin too that goes along with that. And so, um, yeah, that part of like dating process and marriage, it's such a close mirror to some of your hard things in your life. Um, so yeah, that quickly became apparent, uh, maybe not the catch that I thought that I was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would say I probably generally thought I was a eligible bachelor. Um, <laughs> I I know I'm kind of a I'm kind of a weird dude sometimes, and mm-hmm. that that could uh, that could 
turn some women away. Um, <laughs> weird, I was like do extensive it. <laughs> Star Wars shirt collection or uh, weird... Star Wars curtains, definitely. Oh, <laughs> not not okay. the shirt collection. Just I don't know okay. some odd things. I'm, I'm an odd guy. <laughs> okay. She can explain that for us. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Has a Planetary Society T-shirts. Oh wow, the whole spectrum. Okay, yep. yeah, that's um, good. Electric skateboard, which is like he's like weird but cool, you know. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, so I knew there would be some some things that I'd have to get used to. I'm not very clean. I always wanted to be clean, though, so I figured it'd be really nice if I met somebody that, you know, all, you know, would help me be more clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was cute. And, and the, Nate has a house, and he was like, "I always knew it needed a woman's touch." Mm. Which, like, whenever I described it to friends, I was like, "This looks like Peter Pan, like of the Lost Boys." You uh-huh. know, like <laughs> this is the man that lives here. Yeah, and I was like, "It, it needs a little bit more than a woman's touch. It needs yeah. like a woman's bulldozer." <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me of when my sister married my brother-in-law. He had um, in his bathroom. In fact, I remember my mom going through the house with my sister, figuring out like what they would have to put on their registry. And he had in his bathroom half of a towel from his alma mater. And he was in his 30s when he got married. So my mom's like, this towel, half a towel needs to go. Okay, (laughs) let's talk about that. All right, uh, Trent, I I need you to jump in here because like implied here, and I think this is like no one would say like, oh, that's not true. The, The longer you wait to get married, not only like people will talk about like, oh, I'm set in my ways or, oh, I've determined this or, oh, I'm so used to this or whatever. But in addition to just having formed habits and assumptions and you've pulled more things maybe from your family of origin, there's also just uh, more years to like build up sin patterns. There's more years to have accumulated what we call baggage um, <laughs> proclivities for certain. I mean, just wounds. Mm. I mean, things. What would you say as you counsel couples who maybe are out of their 20s at this point or whatever, what are some of the biggest issues, some of the biggest rocks that you have to move when you start counseling? Yeah, Lisa, I think you mentioned a couple. I I do think one major benefit uh, to delaying is that your brain develops uh, completely in your mid to late 20s. Okay. That sort of allows us to access our executive brain functioning in the midst of like conflict and 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 promotes self-soothing or self-regulation in the in the midst of like dysregulation Mm -hmm. that capability is really valuable and Mm -hmm. so like nate and mel waiting learning how to self-regulate calm down a little bit in the midst of conflict that's super helpful um Melinda referenced the concept of maturity, and I was over here taking notes, like, how would I define maturity? <laughs> you mentioned, Lisa, a few um, constructs that I think are important. So if I'm, if I'm considering what maturity is, I think first I would, I would consider it to involve a significant level of insight. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think that means I have an awareness of how my family of origin and formative year experiences have influenced how I think about myself, others, God, and the world, Mm -hmm. and my responses to each of those domains based on how I was kind of programmed to think about them Mm -hmm. in my uh, early life experience. Mm -hmm. I I also think I would add to that not just insight but attunement, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a popular term in our culture today. For me... And this is not my original idea, but attunement is like contact with your inner world. And I do think it takes some time to develop a little bit of a sense of what really is going on in me. Mm-hmm. 
And so when I have that awareness and I can share it, that offers my spouse a genuine opportunity to connect with me, whether that's like this beautiful revelation or this really just agonizing pain. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would sort of tack on to that idea of pain. And this is another thing that you mentioned that I think is important. Um, and Melinda referenced this is just like our own sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And so Nate and Melinda have lots of spiritual maturity mm-hmm. um, and they're wonderful people. And for that kind of group and for, for human beings in general, I would say sin is often the compulsive seeking of pain relief. Mm-hmm. And that tends to become more habituated or ritualized or like routine mm-hmm. over time. And so with maturity, hopefully comes, I think that's what I want to do for lots of couples in their premarital work or marriage counseling is, is to help them sort of see how their family of origin and formative year experience has influenced their thinking and behavior, okay. help them to kind of attune Mm-hmm. to their inner world and then kind of discern how I manage my pain through sort of pain relief seeking, maybe sinful behavior. And if you can get there, okay. I think you're well on your way. So that's interesting. Let's turn it back to you, Mel and Nate, because what, okay, what I think is so interesting is you had, I mean, we all talk about premarital counseling. Everyone goes to it. It's usually some weirdo, like six weeks where people are like, let's talk about your finances or whatever. Um, But I think what's hilarious is that your pastor basically said, in addition to this, I would highly <laughs> recommend that you each talk to my friend, Dr. Trent Langhoffer. Yes. <laughs> okay, so what what was it about that, that what needed to be tackled individually, would you say, that maybe you wouldn't have had to go after as 21-year-olds, or maybe what was unique to the experience with um, with Dr. Trent. Dr. Trent. Well, I think something that's unique that was like kind of awkward at the beginning was when we weren't engaged yet. And so a lot of times people do like premarital and mm-hmm. it was like, we're not engaged. We're actually trying to figure out if we should get engaged, like kind of as a sanity check, go to counseling and just have someone speak into our lives. And so it, to me, even just signing up to go to counseling and even having that original conversation with my pastor, who was also my boss at the time, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it like it's very vulnerable, you know, and you feel like, oh, there's something wrong with us. But honestly, like it was the best thing that we've done because we've mm-hmm. learned to manage conflict together. I think just having a third party speak into your life, you know, especially like a professional, because you have, I was thinking that when you're asking, like, are, do you feel like you're a catch? I was like, yeah, in some ways, like I'm fun. But then I was like, I also built up a lot of insecurities, you know, I'd been cheated on and all these things. And like, you're not, you're not as fresh, you know, like you, like when people talked about like, oh, you feel like such a beautiful bride, you know, I was like, no, I feel like a weary traveler, you know, that finally got to the destination Mm -hmm. and both are beautiful in different ways. But I think there's just a lot of misconceptions. You have a lot of time to build expectations and even like fine tune expectations. Not only do they need to be this, but they need to be this in this way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just having, um, as much extra help, you know, to break down some of the extra crusties that build over the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was super, super helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of what we had to talk about at a general level had to do with the fact that we were pretty both, both pretty entrenched in our in our normal lives, mm-hmm. and with our families, with our friends, and we were both relatively happy, you know, being single. Um, but uh, bringing two very full lives together, mm-hmm. 
is difficult. It's mm-hmm. difficult to navigate. There's tensions that naturally arise. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think I found the most value from doing the pre-engagement counseling was just kind of uh, learning to uh, try to find a healthy navigation uh, among all the different, you know, things that we're pulling at our time and attention. Yeah. I know uh, when we had talked beforehand or, or even getting, you know, some of your recon beforehand, Nate, about this, and I'd like to toss this over to Dr. Trent, talking about the issues of like established friend pools and your family and your extended family and how do priorities get set and who gets cut and who gets cut partially and who get because again now no one gets cut no one's getting cut <laughs> no one's being cut for the record all, all of nate's friends are so concerned um because that is i mean there has to be a prioritization because we talk about like yeah you have this person now and god you know we know biblically like your spouse you have you have to honor your spouse in this but at the same time you do that without you're not going to be staring into the eyes of your spouse and looking to them for your everything either. That's unhealthy. So what's your recommendation, Dr. Trent, to the person who's like, how do we merge these worlds? What does this look like? Because my friends are better than your friends. So what? What does this look like? <laughs> I, at least I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're supposed to tell That's... us exactly how. So so I, I'm genuinely not trying to cop out here. It's a complicated, slow process. Mm-hmm. And I think navigating the process is how we find uh, deeper and deeper levels of connectedness. You know, they're really, I've read the literature, I've been in this field for over a decade. There just really isn't a really clear, standard, established procedure. I think like the former things I talked about, attachment pattern, family of origin, programming, sin, I think those all influence how we communicate about integrating two worlds together Mm -hmm. and how we determine what our priorities are related to friendships and activities and what our decision-making process is. And so if couples, you know, have awareness of that, that awareness is, is empowering. And then as they sort of navigate those situations day after week after month after year and Mel sees Nate make some sacrifices and and respect what's in her uh best wishes you know and she makes some sacrifices and and does what's in Nate's best interest regardless of the benefit to her and they uh keep recapitulating that so to speak it just it just demonstrates a caring and a and an affection for and a, and a depth of attachment that that really makes navigating that easier and easier as time moves forward. There's there's obviously a lot that can interfere. I could talk a lot about that too, but mm-hmm. I think that process, bringing some awareness in, yeah, understanding there's not maybe a great way, and just navigating it as best we can, day after week, after month, after year, yeah, you kind of get it. Okay, so then because you kind of alluded to this, and I did want to go here, and we're talking about you know Mel and Nate are. A healthy couple who love the Lord, who are willing to put in the work, but talk about a couple that you would sit in front of where you're going to start saying there are some non-starters here. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, what, what, I mean, for the person who might be dating someone and they're like, uh, okay. I mean, short of like multiple felonies, what are we talking <laughs> right. here as far as like, you need to put warning, a big warning rip. signs, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I think there are a few um, like chronic uh, self-centeredness or prioritizing of my own needs. That's a, a feature that I'm looking for. 
um, a consistent tendency to take things really, really personally mm. is something that I'm usually looking for. Um, a person's reactivity level, mm. what's the frequency, kind of the, the magnitude of their reactivity and what's the amplitude, like how, how often are they getting there and what's the duration? Mm-hmm. How long does that last? Mm. Highly reactive, uh, highly frequent, long lasting reactions. That's a major um, concern. I'm also looking at repair. Mm-hmm. Everybody argues and has disagreements. Mm-hmm. Most people have them uh, the same quantity and most people have the same level of success resolving them. Mm-hmm. So repair is a really important feature of relationships. Mm-hmm. So even for people who aren't Christians, like chronic self-centeredness, really taking things personally, high levels of reactivity, and an inability to repair, a long time between precipitating event and need for repair, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- those are things that would be concerning to me. Yeah. Okay. I uh, also comes to mind, and this is just because we, you know, we talk about this so much on the show, I would imagine too, someone who is completely unwilling to acknowledge issues in their life. I mean, I think of people I have, you know, I've known women who are like, straight up dating guys who are in the throes of pornography addiction, and they think that they're going to help them get out of it. All of a sudden, they become their therapist, they become there becomes an intertwining of total like dysfunctional behavior. Yeah, if you're in, in a relationship to rescue somebody, you need to reconsider. Yeah. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? <laughs> people uh-huh. people can deny and avoid like mm-hmm. obviously blatantly uh addictive things and sinful things. Yep. And so yeah, a, a complete lack of ownership for character defects, pattern sinful behavior uh, secret keeping yeah. for sure, Lisa. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm thinking, I'm glad you said that. I think the four things I listed are in relatively healthy situations, mm-hmm. still things that might be concerning to me. If yeah. somebody has like a hidden sinful behavior or is in denial that they're yeah. contributing at all to the friction of a relationship, major concern. Yeah. Okay. That's good. All right. Well, clearly we need to do like five or six segments on this. So we might have to circle back sometime in the future. But um, as we close, I want to ask both Mel and Nate the same question and have you each answer it. What now four months in, what is the thing you've been most pleasantly surprised by in marriage? Like maybe something that you got all head Casey about, but now you realize like, this is awesome. This is great. We got this. We're, we're chill. And then what's something that you're just kind of like, you know what? We're still working on this or I'm still working on it or whatever. Like kind of both a both and on that for either of you. <laughs> and they can't um, be about, I'm working on him working on me. That's to be for yourself. Well, Mel yeah. waking up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's kidding. true. <laughs> um, let's see. I think one of the most, the best things has been, that was surprising, is that I do feel like I have more time and energy for the people I you know loved and cared about before I met Melinda, hmm. now that I'm, now that we're married. Oh. I feel like dating was like more of a battle. Oh. And but now that you know you come home to the same house, you know you're you're on the same team. You're you're the home base is the same. Uh-huh. It feels like that's a lot less of a of a battle or, hmm. or a resource constraint. Yeah. And then thing that we are working on, um, probably when Mel is upset, how I respond. <laughs> 
Because I immediately went to say, hey, you probably shouldn't say that. That was mean or something along <laughs> those lines. Because the real big morality police. <laughs> I'm like, just let me be angry right now. <laughs> so okay. trying to figure out how to do that with integrity, but also compassion and love. Okay. So. That's so fascinating you said it because it reminds me of my parents. I think this was my um, mom that was telling me this story once. And my dad was always the super chill, like gifts of mercy and compassion, whatever. My mom was a little more uh, out there with her opinions and emotions. And she said one time, I guess my dad, they were in conflict. And my dad just said, you know what, let's just stop and let's pray about this. And let's." <laughs> and my mom said, I don't want to pray about this. I want to fight about this. <laughs> and it was like so hilarious just for me to, because I was that's like, great. oh, yeah, that's it. Okay, Mel, how about you? Um, I think I was worried about um, like personal space, you know, like feeling a little bit claustrophobic in marriage. And I've probably gotten like more clingy and needy than I've ever <laughs> been before. And uh-huh. I've just enjoyed like the sweetness of being together. It's just been really lovely. So it helps. He makes me lattes in bed. So oh, yay. <laughs> I'm spoiled. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that's just, I don't know. It's just been really, really sweet. And it's like, oh, it's so funny. I resisted this for so long. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a joy. But um, something that I'm working on, what was that question? Yeah, something where you'd say, okay, this still needs some work. This is, we're going to get there. This, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think like, so conflict resolution came up in like our premarital, you know, and we dealt with some pretty big conflicts, but even just like the more like, instead of like huge conflicts, but like maybe it's just like, okay, this is an intense conflict. Maybe it's not huge. And how do do we resolve that? Um, And then I think just a continual, like I was thinking about the other day of like, when you're dating, you're like really intentional about getting to know each other and it, and we're only four months in. So it's not like we're old hat at this, but I'm like, am I still getting like, am I still like actively striving to understand you, you know, mm-hmm. and understand who God's made you um, and like resting in that or for me and my personality, like not trying to fight that and resist that, you mm-hmm. know, why don't mm-hmm. you be more like me? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And so I think like, just kind of like having to be really active in like this is how god has made nate and i want to champion that i don't want to try to make nate into who who i am you mm-hmm. know we don't need more of those so yeah um yeah it's awesome. been a fun journey awesome thoughts <laughs> well nate mel dr trent thanks so much for weighing in on this i think this is super yeah, encouraging for folks like so fun it who, can be who done. doesn't love going public with their counselor <laughs> <laughs> it can be done you guys are awesome it's so great so thank you guys so much appreciate it yeah thanks for having us lisa cold day in a london cab her phone rings but i can tell the news is bad before the first tear falls the sorrow a call like this brings the Sorrow doesn't get the last word after all Okay, here we are for our culture segment, and we are back for part two of a Q&A with Jonathan Pakluda. You may know him as JP. 
Uh, You also may know him as the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, and former leader of The Porch up there at Watermark Church in Texas. Oh, my goodness. Has this guy ever done anything not in Texas? That's okay. We love you, Texans. (laughs) We love you. That's right. Um, He is also host of the podcast Becoming Something, which is just fantastic and such a biblical encouragement to young adults and others. Let's be honest. If you're not a young adult, they will let you listen to their show. Okay. But uh, largely for those who are just really trying to take hold of their faith and apply it in everyday life. And that's what we do here at Boundless as well. And so... JP, it is super, uh, it's just an honor to have you back on the show this week. So welcome. Likewise, as I said last week, you're such an encourager. All those, all the introductions, I just I leave here and, and people say, why do you have such a big head? And I was like, well, I was just with Lisa, you know, and she's... <laughs> She's such an encourager. So I'm excited to dive back in. That was fun. Well, wonderful. So we have uh, so many questions here for you. Our segments are only 20 minutes, which is just a huge drag because we probably could go like four hours. But, you know, we'll do that at some point. But I'll get two questions. We know know you actually have a wife and kids that you eventually need to talk to. So we can't monopolize all of your time. Um, But awesome. Okay. Those of you... um, listening here, you're going to raise your hand and you're going to have the chance to ask your question. Uh, John will invite you into the room. But as we kick it off, uh, JP, I would love to just kind of uh, ask you one of the questions that came in on social. And I thought this one was a really good one. Um, Our listener said, Uh, She basically wants to know about dating after divorce with kids, um, even as a younger person now, a young mom uh, who has some kids. And she said, you know, she's basically considering some guys and says, if I am interested in this guy and he has the fruits of the spirit, is a servant at his church and a great father, but he works a low paying job and can't afford insurance, would your advice be to proceed dating him or not? Yeah, well... First, I just want to say single moms are my heroes, and that's tough. And I I love the questions you're asking, the way that you're thinking about this. And I also want to say that when with kids in the picture, the stakes are higher in dating and how you date and when you bring someone around the kids and just to be thoughtful and all of that. And my, my strongest recommendation would be to make sure that you have other uh, believing women in your life, helping you think through that. Um, just, you know, I, I'm, there's about 12 proverbs that say wisdom comes from the council of many. And I, I'm just a firm believer that, you know, several people with the Holy spirit are smarter than one person operating by themselves with the Holy spirit. And so that would be my my biggest advice. And then in regards to just the guy and being able to provide and not having insurance and, you know, the scripture says that that we are to uh, take care of believers, especially our immediate family. And so that's how wide the fence is as far as if that means, you know, providing insurance. uh, I don't know. And I think that is going to be like you pray through that. Talk to your community um ask the lord like hey help me understand is this a good idea is it not Uh, you can't see the future you don't know if that guy you know wins the lottery or gets a promotion or you know how how that plays out but i would examine his character and in his is his character and his work ethic one that that you see hey he's you know he's ambitious like he has goals and he and he you know he works hard and if that's there, I would probably put less emphasis on whether or not he has insurance or can have insurance or not. 
Yeah, it's good to get a guy's perspective on that because I think a lot of women, you know, wonder. They're like, okay, what, you know, I don't want to be too controlling and I don't want to put unrealistic expectations, but also men provide. And so it's it's helpful for you to um, to put that out there. So I appreciate that. Um, okay, next up, we have got Vaughn. Vaughn, go ahead. Uh, you are on with JP. You can ask your question. So a phrase I've heard a lot recently is if he wanted to, he would. Um, and I just kind of wanted to know, like, what your thoughts on that phrase yeah. was. Yeah. You know, there's so many of these, like, just catchy, you know, red flags. If he wanted to, he would. And and we could we could add to that list. And again, um, I wouldn't read too much into these cultural phrases and um, just go back to like, Hey, I want a guy who is this, you know, and, and I, I don't even like, what does that mean? If he wanted to, he, if he wanted to ask you out, he would, well, what if he wants to ask you out, but he's, he's scared. And, and then it's like, okay, what if his, his fear is, is greater than his desire. And I, I think we're in like deep philosophical land. That's just pointless to even spend too much time thinking about. And I just go back to one of my favorite verses is, um, first Timothy four twelve, and it just says, you know, set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And I think in this scripture, it's not a, it's not a scripture on dating, but it is a scripture that gives you a great list of things to inspect in what you're looking for. And so I want somebody that, that speaks life, uh, with their words that acts consistent with the Holy spirit and the scriptures, uh, that loves the things of God, uh, that believes deeply, uh, in the gospel and, and in the authority of the scriptures and they surrender to the spirit and they represent purity. They're pursuing purity. And so that's what I'm looking for. If I'm a single guy, that's what I'm looking for in a girl. The, the word that they use there is an example. And if I'm a, a single girl, a single young woman, that's what I'm looking for in a man uh, and vice versa. I, hopefully I said that the two different ways. And so it's that simple for me. It's not more complicated. And I just wouldn't put a lot of stock in, you know, the phrase of the day uh, from culture or social media. Yeah. Vaughn, thanks so much for asking that question. Uh, JP, I am going to ask one, another one that came in on social. It's related to breakups. Um, so obviously we're, we're talking about relationships here. Sometimes they don't work out. Um, so our listener actually wrote in and first off says, uh, your dating book is awesome and rich. So FYI, uh, really appreciates outdated. Um, but then, then, yeah, for sure. Then she says, uh, a few years ago, I was really into a guy at church. We dated a little, but ultimately decided to be friends. Our DTR was short and not super detailed. We're still friends today. And at times I find myself needing more closure and still having questions about things that weren't directly answered. Do you think a follow-up conversation would be healthy after such a long gap for healing on my end? Or is it just a moot point right now? You know, you have to discern, is my desire for closure control? Or is it a hurt, a, a sin, um, something that was done to me, right? And so if you can put it in the category of, hey, I believe he sinned against me, then you can go in kind of a Matthew 18 process and say, listen, John, and I'm making up that name, John, when, when you 
you know, ended this relationship with very little explanation. I just realized over time that I've been carrying bitterness towards you. First of all, would you please forgive me for taking so long to bring to you that bitterness? It's just taken me some time to kind of sort through my feelings and emotions. And then secondly, I, I want to com clearly communicate to you, man, that hurt me. That that was something that that is has kind of left a wound in my heart. And I want to give you the opportunity to make it right. And so if that's the category that it's in, then I think that's a great process. Uh, if it's not that, then the scripture tells us to overlook a small offense. And if that the, the way you know you can overlook it is if you can. And it sounds like you can't because, you know, it's it's coming back up uh, this this amount of time later. And so that's where I would just turn to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And you kind of enter into that process and put it in the category of, hey, I believe John sinned against me and his lack of clarity, the confusion that he created, the kind of lack of explanation in the ending of the relationship. And I've been carrying some bitterness. Yeah, great point there. Um, I would also like to weigh in, and maybe some of you who listen to The Boundless Show have heard me say this before. It's something I stole from my friend Jesse, who broke up with a girl, and he. I just remember when he told me this, I thought it was so great. He said, you know, we basically just picked a two-week time frame where either of us could ask questions of the other and get our closure and do follow-ups and kind of pick things apart. And then after those two weeks, it was like, you know what, we're done, we're going to move on. And so it kind of put a time frame to things of just saying, like, let's put it out there. Let's get the closure. Let's figure out, you know, what are the hurts that were manifest there? But, you know, eventually you have to say, you know, enough is enough. I'm moving on. God has something different for me. And so just my encouragement there to, to you know, closure isn't a bad thing. And sometimes there are questions exactly as JP said. So um, you might need to find something out. But uh, again, as he said, you know, the motives uh, definitely play into that. And then also, it's not something you want to revisit over and over again. So I'm a big fan of that, Lisa, just the giving yourselves a time window to process different things, I think is a, is a good practice. Yeah, yeah. I uh, really stole that from, from one of my guy friends, Jesse. I thought that was so wise. So I've told so many people that since, but excellent. Um, okay, um, this is just kind of a fun one, JP. I don't even know if you if you can think of this off the cuff, but our, our listener wants to know, what's the worst dating advice you've ever heard and what made it so bad? Yeah, I mean, just you know, there's there's a lot. Uh, try before you buy, you know, is, is dumb. You know, Hey, I want to make sure everything fits and and it's just has created so much hurt in people. Uh, and then another one that's really popular is just follow your heart. Mm. And it's just like, hey, put your emotions and your feelings on the throne. They are king and you should do everything they say to do. And there's nothing else in life that we process that, that way. And so I find today in dating that a lot of people struggle. OK, where where do my feelings fit? Because certainly they're not completely irrelevant, which I agree. Let me go on record and say they're not completely irrelevant. And that they have a place. I just don't think it's first place. And so there has to be this balance of, hey, I'm processing things with my heart, but I'm also processing things with my head and with logic and, and with an understanding of what God desires for me in the scriptures and who's going to be a godly and God-fearing partner to me in life. And so those are two that come to mind. That's good. Well, that makes me think of uh, another one that I want to put in tandem with that, because I think this fits in well from one of our listeners on social. They're asking, how can I know if someone I like has truly repented of his or her bad decisions in the past and has changed? And should I give it a certain amount of time to, quote unquote, prove himself or herself? 
Yeah. If you don't know, they haven't. And so a phrase that's been helpful to me is, is their repentance as notorious as their rebellion? And so that's, that's just this little idea to say when, if they have been reckless in the past, as I was, uh, my wife and I both, we have a past, we weren't pursuing Jesus. Uh, there was lots of hurts there, lots of, of sexual baggage, baggage in general. And so I had to come to this place where I was pursuing Jesus with reckless abandonment, that the greatest thing in my life, what, what marked my life most was my love for Christ, my involvement in his church, my surrounding with community. And you could see that. And there, there really wasn't anyone looking at me at the time saying, gosh, I wonder if he's still getting drunk. I wonder if he's still doing drugs. I wonder if he's still sleeping around. It's like, I didn't have time to sleep around. I was always like serving at the church at the time, you know, and just that was consuming my life. And so if you're looking at someone and you're like, I wonder if they're still doing those things, then it, it sounds like their repentance is not as notorious as their rebellion was. Now, I know that situation is extremely nuanced. I don't know exactly what was happening there, but I just, it's just sounds to me like you're left with a question. And I would hope that they would be living in a way that, that it kind of removes that question, if you will. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, a lot of times people ask this in terms of something specific, and, and sometimes it can be like uh, a sexual sin struggle. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography um, or a sex mm-hmm. addiction. And I think that's one of those things where bringing some objective eyes onto the relationship mm-hmm. can help as well, because you want to make sure that this person, you know, obviously sin, we can repent of sin, but you also want to make sure uh, that this person is a certain uh, distance removed from that particular struggle uh, in the addiction itself. I, I know that can be tricky. Absolutely. And they've maybe they've gone through recovery or they're in community and have accountability in place. And there's some period of time, a uh, reasonable amount of time where they, they've been pursuing purity, you know, in that specific struggle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, one more uh, question here off of social. We've got a person who says, um, what if the person I'm interested in, this is, this is, I love this question. This is like, oh my word, how many of us have asked this? What if the person I'm interested in is struggling to reach the commitment stage of a relationship? How can I address mm. that issue with them appropriately? You know, short of a gunpoint. I mean, I've, I've tried... <laughs> Is that does that work for anyone? I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's just like this is a woman who is asking this yeah. question about the yeah. guy. Like, is he going to commit? What in the world? Go ahead, yeah. JP. I, I, there's there's something that I've taken from the secular business world that I think applies here, and I saw this. And I thought it was brilliant, and it was in it was shared in terms of like an interview and uh, or somebody making a professional decision and them saying, "Hey, I need more time." And they just said, you know, uh, time does not always allow us to make good decisions. It's information. And so when somebody says, I need more time, often what they need is more information. And I know this sounds so clinical, but I, I go back to your, your friend's advice, Lisa, that you said earlier, is just you can go to them and say, hey, what information do you lack? And what's a reasonable amount of time for you to get that information? Because I again, I think... The challenge that we see in dating today is people are waiting to feel a certain way and you're being held hostage to somebody's feelings. Like, how do you know, like based on what they ate for breakfast and which way the wind blows? And and I mean, you know, what kind of feeling are you waiting for? And, And that's where I think that people get stuck. And so to just to go to them and say, hey, are you thinking about this the same way that I am, that dating is us trying to determine Uh, If we would make a suitable spouse for each other, 
and I've got all the information I need. What information do you lack and how much time do you need? And some of you are like, whoa, it's just not that easy. It's not the, and, and that's, that's fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm answering in short form here, <laughs> but, but you can take those, those words and that idea and put them in your own words and put your own emotion behind it. And it, it may look something like this, like, Hey, I've really enjoyed the time that we've spent together. And I told you that I was spending time with you to determine if you would be a suitable spouse for me. And I think I've gotten all the information that I need. And is there anything that I can do, any experiences that we can go through together? Again, not sinful, obviously, but is there anything that we can, a season that we can go through together, experience that we can go through together that would help you have the information that you need? And if so, like how much time, how can I help you do that? And really what you're going to find out is if they're in this place, well, no, I'm just waiting to feel a certain way. Like, gosh, I don't, I don't know if that's something that I'm signing up for. Like, I don't know that if I want to sign up for me just waiting for some, you know, completely arbitrary feeling that may hit you at some point. That That's not super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one other uh, follow-up or, or statement maybe elaboration I want you to make, JP, on the last thing you just said is, I feel like there are so many young adults out there who feel erroneously that they have to know everything about a person before they can commit to marrying them. And that is just not possible. I mean, it is just not, you know, so they're going to constantly wait for, well, what about the next thing? Or maybe we should do two Christmases together or three Christmases, or I need to visit more of their family or what, I mean, give it a little idea of what is necessary to know before you can move ahead in commitment to a person. Yeah. And so I just, I, w- I want to back up and say, and, and I love the question because this is, this is the right question. Make sure you know those things before you enter into dating. So don't start dating someone and then ask the question, I wonder what I need to know about them now. Everyone that hears this right now, everyone listening should know, okay, this is what I need to know about someone uh, as I date them prior to me committing my life to them. Okay. And, and I'll just go back to that scripture. I love, I love this verse. It's, I think it's God's kindness to us to give us this verse. First Timothy 4.12, an example, an example of someone that I want to marry is I'm going to examine their speech. I'm going to examine how they act. I'm going to examine what they love. I'm going to examine their faith. That's a big one, the foundational one. I mean, you know, Second uh, Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I want to make sure that they have a heart for Jesus. And then I want to make sure, I want to examine their purity, that they're, they're committed to um, being pure, that they honor the marriage covenant, that they're not communicating to me that they're willing to go outside of marriage for sex because then if we get married they've already told me hey i'm willing to go outside of marriage for sex and they they will keep doing that and so those are things that you can inspect that's what i would want to get to know about them there's nuance to like well how do they communicate how do they resolve conflict their family of origin how do they fold the towels those are nice to have you know, maybe those things are, are there and, and helpful to you. And but those are not like make it or break it things. Those are things that you can work through with just about anyone. And some of that plays into, you know, again, what comes out of their mouth? How do they act? And so I find that to be a really 
a helpful five questions. Mm -hmm. So helpful. And it just, it pairs it down. Because again, there are some non-negotiables. And I love what you say about take those into dating. Don't don't get it, you know, six months into a relationship and then be like, okay, well, maybe I better really ask them about their faith and figure this yeah. out. You know, your, your yeah. heart will probably be invested at that point. So uh, such great right. wisdom and advice. All right, folks. Oh, my goodness. This goes so fast. We are out of time. So fast. So, fast. Um, so we'll bring uh, we'll bring JP back here for um, an eight hour segment at some Please. point. Um, <laughs> we'll make Please. it happen. And uh, in the meantime, I want to remind you all uh, that, again, if you go to boundless.org, just type in the search bar 753. That's this week's episode. Um, click on the book title of Outdated there, JP's book. Give a gift of any amount to Boundless. This is just to support the work that we're already doing, and we're going to send you JP's book as a thank you to you. So we want to make sure that we get that in your hands. Quite frankly, tell your friends because you can do this as a book study. Um, you should, you know, this is a great opportunity through the summer to grab uh, some of your best buddies and make this happen and just resolve really to support one another and pray for one another as you pursue relationships. It's such a great thing to do. Um, also, a reminder to check out his podcast, Becoming Something. Uh, we talked about that being on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, everywhere podcasts are. So make sure you get that. And uh, and then for the many times that you guys just tootle on down to Waco, you can just go and uh, hear him <laughs> preach as well. So uh, in person is is fantastic. He's the he's the tall guy uh, with the fun sneakers <laughs> on. So uh, JP, cool. it's always a privilege to have you hey, on friends, the Boundless likewise. Show. Uh, just Likewise, super, so <laughs> super great. Um, we have uh, folks cheering in the background. So just uh, so helpful for you to share wisdom and share the love of Christ with us as we apply it uh, to relationships and beyond. Uh, we love you, brother. Hey, love you. Thank you for all that you are doing. And uh, thanks for having me on. 24 hours rushing past to get caught up and I move too fast. Another day is spent. Working hard to keep my pace Trying to win the human race But somehow I forget That you're in control of all this mess You got the whole world in your hands Got the whole wide world in your hands And every little thing is under your command I will trust your plans You've got the whole world in your hands Well, folks, here we are finishing out the show. And as always, we open up our inbox and answer one of your questions that you have submitted here at Boundless. And so uh, today we have Glenn Lutchens in the studio, one of our fantastic counselors. Glenn, welcome. Hi, Lisa. Good to be Super with you. Super great to have you. Okay, I'm going to read this question and let okay. you take a stab at it. Here All we right. go. Our listener says, I'm recently engaged and I want to use this time to prepare for mm. marriage and not just the wedding. We're planning on doing premarital counseling, but what other practical steps can we take to be ready? Should we be reading a book, setting up goals, have specific times to talk about certain topics like money, deciding where we'll live, intimacy, etc.? What are your thoughts on how we can best prepare? Well, there's a 
great desire to yeah. be prepared. I love the, the idea of preparing for the marriage, not just the wedding. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so easy to put all the time, effort, money into the wedding itself, but not prepare for marriage. Um, several things come to mind. One is, I, I think it can be helpful, and maybe this is something that would be done in premarital counseling, but just doing what I would call a, a lifeline. And that is to just kind of do a chronological history of your life. What have been some of the major transitions? What have been some of the major challenges? Have there been any traumas in life that need to be processed and worked through? I mean, obviously, marriage becomes one of those significant transitions of life. And if there are some things that still need to be kind of worked through, maybe they've just been glossed over a little bit, now is a good time, now before marriage, as opposed to waiting until you're in, into the marriage to, to do that. So, And that can certainly be if each uh, fiancé writes out their lifeline and shares that, there can be a lot of maybe new information or awareness that each one has of the other. So I think that's a really positive step that couples can take. Yeah, that's really good. And that's interesting because I do have a friend who said that both she and her fiance did individual counseling. So many people mm. talk about pre-engagement or premarital, but they right. both kind of went and even talked about the different ways with individual counselors, how mm. they even process information and how that might crop up, you know, in the way that they communicate and stuff like that and what to be ready for. Yeah. I think that I think that's especially great. Um, but you would certainly recommend the premarital as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because a couple, they can they can take time to be open and communicate with each other. But a counselor can kind of ask them some questions that will really focus in. In fact, a, a counselor will probably make some suggestions as far as reading materials. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as uh, materials about sexuality, you probably don't want to do that too soon in mm -hmm. the relationship because that can kind of uh, motivate and uh, increase desire, which, mm -hmm. again, in marriage is a wonderful thing. Um, one resource that I often encourage people to consider, it's a book uh, really about marriage, uh, itself and often for people who are in the middle of marriage. Uh, it's a book called How We Love. Hmm. It's by Mylin and Kay Yurkovich. Hmm. It's a husband and wife. He's a pastoral counselor. She's a licensed marriage family therapist. And they talk about six different styles people bring into marriage. Hmm. One style is healthy. Five of them are not. Oh, wow. So hopefully we all have some of the healthy. <laughs> are are um, they going to tell us ahead of time what's the healthy so we yeah, can try tell to you. be the... Okay. Secure attachment's good. actually the healthy one. <laughs> okay, But good. there are five others. And okay. even though people may say, well, we're not married yet, you can still get a pretty good idea of which style is probably reflective of your person and, and the way that you'll respond in the marriage relationship. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for that insight. And the lifeline is just a great, great idea You're of welcome. just probably a great insight for anyone as an individual sure. in, in addition to a couple. So awesome. Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. As always, we want to hear from you. If you write to us at editor at boundless.org, uh, we will get your message. You can give a suggestion for an inbox segment, a question that you have, uh, or you can just write a comment or let us know how the show has impacted you. We always love to hear from folks. And uh, of course, you can find us over on social as well on Facebook and Instagram at Boundless Team. Uh, we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. 
Do you ever wonder what it was like to meet Jesus face to face? The miracles, the teachings, the long-awaited Messiah in the flesh. It's all in a new novel by Focus on the Family called The Chosen, I Have Called You by Name, based on the hit streaming series. Immerse yourself in first century Galilee. Experience the Savior through the eyes of his followers. You'll want to dive deeper into scripture with every page turn. Learn more about The Chosen novel at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen. That's focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.